Hey, video game fans, I'm Ben Bertoli. And I'm Push Dustin. And this is Memory Card. So, Push, you know that I'm a teacher, you know, in the real world. What? Yeah, I know. It's, it's almost, it comes up almost every other episode, but it's cool that you just now figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> but since, you know, that's the case and I don't go by some handle online, I have to make sure that all my social media is, like, you know, squeaky clean, no swearing, no mature stuff. Yeah. It becomes a little bit of a challenge at times. Yeah, I, I understand. Like, um, that, I mean, that's one of the main reasons why I have a, a pseudonym online. Is so that way I can just do whatever I want. <laughs> With no consequences. Yeah. Potentially. <laughs> Can't stop me. <laughs> no one knows that your real name is. Yeah. So I was thinking that if, you know, I did want to do something more edgy and, you know, mature, like I would have to come up with another name, like a yeah. cool alias to hide behind, because I don't really have one of those besides my Twitter handle, which is, you know, mm -hmm. fun, but kind of cute. I need a little more edge. People see your Twitter handle and like they immediately realize that your name is Ben because it's just like super Bentendo. It's like not that hard of a, a guess. Like with me, like people always assume that my name is actually Dustin, but it's not. <laughs> And it's nice because like people, people are like, what's your name? I'm like, oh, uh, you can just call me Push. Right. <laughs> I should have gone with Super Dantendo or something, you know, different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just have that fake out. So it gets all it weeds out like half of the people. So here's my here's my potential new fake names. Uh, the first one is Cool Beans with two Z's at the end. Mm, yeah. Possibly with, you know, like a cool like a, a number at the end. X Cool Beans. X. The next one is Richard Boombox. Mm a fun one and then the last one is bruce uppercut which sounds like i should be in streets of rage yeah so which one of those is your favorite i think uh richard boombox is definitely the coolest yeah i feel like he would have a really cool intro richard boombox yeah i could just imagine him like wearing sunglasses and uh -huh. carrying that boombox on his shoulder oh yeah it's gaming time yeah so if, if you weren't push dustin what would your what would your name be uh i get asked this quite often and um i guess um my name would be Push Guy Around. <laughs> push Guy Around. That's not. That's like the aggro version of you, anyway. Yeah. You're pushing people around. Yeah, exactly. I'm tired of this dust. I'm moving on to human beings. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, Mr. Guy Around, uh, shall we get on with the show? I think so too, Sir Boombox. All right, so I'm going to start this one out with a little bit of a, a story. What? We're, we're going to take it back to 1995. And uh, I, don't, I don't think this has been brought up really on the show much, but when I was a kid, we moved around a lot. I was born mm. in Michigan. We moved to uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, and then we moved to Billings, Montana, and oh. then we moved to Indiana, where I uh, still currently reside. And that was all before third grade. Oh, wow. So in 1995, when I was in second grade and I lived in Montana, I had a best friend who lived like two doors down named Kevin, and he had like all the systems, but we would always play Super Nintendo together, mm -hmm. and we would always go rent games from Blockbuster, and if you don't know what that is, <laughs> it's a place where you could rent videotapes and games and things. Think of Netflix, but in a... <laughs> That's right. You had to walk there. It's terrible. Yeah, you had to walk to Netflix. But there was a game that he rented. We were going to have a sleepover, and he rented it, and it was called Weapon Lord, mm. and if you've never heard of it, you might, if you're old like me, if you're in your 30s. You might know it. It was on the July issue of Nintendo Power in 1995. Had this big, like, saber-toothed tiger, beefy man guy with a big, like, club. Oh, actually, I think I do know that. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we messed around in that. And kind of right off the bat, I noticed that it was a pretty bloody game. You know, there was it was kind of had that Mortal Kombat vibe, like it was trying to be like over the top. And uh, I really couldn't handle gore as a kid. Not Al Gore, but just like blood and guts, you know, or both. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Jeez. Al Gore beating someone to a bloody pulp was my nightmare <laughs> global warming come on <laughs> i mean i was seven so that kind of makes sense yeah but at some point in the game one of us pulled off what was called a death combo mm-hmm. which is you know i guess a step up from a fatality and i like decapitated his character and the head like flew across the screen in like a you know shooting star of blood <laughs> i could like legitimately still picture it as an adult because it like made mm-hmm. my stomach drop like i was just like oh my god <laughs> what is this why am I playing this? I'm not ready for this. I'm a monster. Yeah, like, what have I done? I need to go. Let's just play Donkey Kong Country. Yeah. But I, I remember looking through the manual and seeing that it was rated T for teen. And at that time, like, I wasn't that up on the whole rating system thing. Yeah. Because it was pretty new. And I was just like, uh-oh, like, I'm going to get in trouble. Here, here come the cops. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> your, your parents are going to come in. They're going to be like, we're going to have to send you to, <laughs> to jail, son. They're going to burst in through the wall like the Kool-Aid man. It's like, hey. We know you're not a teen. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. So uh, it made me extremely uncomfortable. I did not play the game anymore, despite the fact that we had it like he had rented it for uh, you know a couple days. Yeah. Did you ever have a moment like that as a kid with like a whoa, I shouldn't be playing this kind of thing? I mean, like my parents gave me access to the Internet as a young child. Like they, they put on parental <laughs> controls. Oh, OK. I was going to say. But like I found out very quickly if I just opened up Internet Explorer like while on AOL that I would just be able to browse the Internet without any restriction. Um... You know, like one of the first weeks I was um, on the Internet, I got sent um, I got sent some graphic images of people. Um, this was before Rick Rolling. People were much more mean spirited. Uh huh. <laughs> you were desensitized to all the violence everything i was desensitized i don't know how but like i got really into mortal kombat as a kid i don't know who introduced it to me or why my parents bought it for me but like i had mortal kombat one two three growing up we're going to talk a little bit more about mortal kombat here in a second but like yeah so i I grew up with like all this blood and violence and and unfiltered access to the internet and hopefully it turned out okay i'm not that that angry of a person i think i i I complain a lot but i'm not that angry Mm mm-hmm So that brings us uh, in a roundabout sort of way to today's topic, which is the formation of the Entertainment Software Ratings Board, the ESRB, which sounds kind of like a boring topic, but I I assure you there's some interesting stuff in there. Yeah. And if you don't know what that is for some reason, because you can't read, I guess you you live outside of the U.S. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that as well. People do that. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, that's the rating system for North America, and uh, and just keep in mind this is kind of the Cliff Notes version of this story because it, there's a lot to it, but I try to condense it down. Yeah, we're gonna take a step back even further from 1995 uh, all the way to the the year of 1992 before Weapon Lord existed to traumatize me. Mm-hmm. So 1992, let me set the scene: Aladdin, biggest movie of the year, makes like 500 million dollars. Whoa. Wow. Nirvana. Nirvana just came out with their first major album, Nevermind, which just has that baby on the front, you know, in the mm, pool. Yep. Which is uh, like filling up the airwaves with all their, their sweet uh, guitar licks and such. And the infamous Teen Talk Barbie told girls that math class is tough. Yep. <laughs> and people did not like that. <laughs> Some controversy there already in 1992. But as far as gaming went, as people probably know, the 16 bit console wars were going strong. Um, Nintendo and Sega were kind of duking it out there. 
Nintendo had brought video mm-hmm. games like back from the brink of destruction after the 1983 video game crash with the NES. And uh, in 1990, Nintendo owned 90% of the total gaming audience in the United States. And that was like a, like a $3 billion industry. Oh, wow. Huge, huge numbers. Yeah. And, uh, and right about this time, like you're getting full motion video, uh, video games, 16-bit is getting just like a little more realistic. You can kind of like put people into games, which is kind of what Mortal Kombat did. It's, it's an intense, it's an intense race between Sega and Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And that battle between Sega and Nintendo, you know, Nintendo's kind of like the family-friendly one of the two. And Sega's like pushing the envelope, trying to get those teens and adults and, and being all edgy with uh, Sonic and saying that they do what Nintendo don't. Yeah. And by 1992, after only two years... Sega had obtained 65% of the U.S. gaming market. They had overtaken Nintendo just barely yeah. to be like in that dominant position. Yeah, because they, they got the edgy Sonic. Right, and that's where the rest of this kind of comes in because as the games are getting more realistic, there's a bigger audience, so they're trying to get those adults and those teenagers and pull them in with arcade and console games. And as this starts to happen, there starts to be this outrage it was mainly around three games, mm. two of them more than the others. And the first one, as you may have guessed, was Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Which is uh, it, made by Midway and first released in 1992 as an arcade game. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a highly controversial title. But basically Midway said, well, we can take the arcade cabinet and put it like wherever we want in the arcade. Yeah. So like if you want to say, okay, the kids can't be in this part, it's really easy. You know, it's not like it's at home on their TV. Yeah. But (laughs) it got so big that eventually Midway was like, well, we want to take it home, put it for the the home consoles. And parents were not so up on that idea. Yeah. I think the main appeal of Mortal Kombat was like trying to see all those crazy fatalities and stuff like that. Right, there's like one where if you uppercut them just right, they'd like go down on the spike pit like down below on that special stage. And uh, yeah, Mortal Kombat was like this huge like hot commodity. It was like the game of the time. And so both Nintendo and Sega were like, we want it. We want it on our system. Yeah, they kind of had different approaches to how they did that. Basically, what Sega did was like, okay, we're going to put it on our system and we're going to like tone down the violence. But there is a cheat code that you can put in that we're going to make pretty publicly you know available that puts it all back like all the severed heads and all the spine ripping is is back in with you know these couple push of the buttons yeah and nintendo was like well we're family friendly and we're just gonna like legit tone things down for good we're gonna change some blood into sweat or and i think they changed some of the blood to be green because if you're bleeding green, you're... Yeah, so it's not human. <laughs> you're not a real person. You're just a, a Shrek or something. <laughs> Made of onions. <laughs> yeah. So that came to consoles. And at this point, and I'll talk about this in a bit, Sega had actually come up with their own rating system. So on the front of it, it was like, hey, don't play this game unless you're 13 or older. Yeah. But even then, that was based on the, the normal content, not the put in the cheat code, get all the extra violence content. So what was your experience with Mortal Kombat? I know this has come up quite a few times, but you had it on the Genesis, right? Yeah, I had it on the Genesis. And um, like I said, like as a kid, like I got really into fighting games. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's where my love of, of Smash Bros. like kind of originated from. Like I used to play the um, Power Rangers Sega Genesis game. Oh, yeah. And then, um, yeah, I played Mortal Kombat quite hmm. often. Wasn't very good at it. I, I just loved trying to be able to punch people and get their blood out um 
Actually, uh, as as a kid, um, I I did get in trouble. One of the few times mm-hmm. I got in trouble at school because I was like too much of a goody two shoe was uh yeah. I was actually refereeing a fight because we wanted to do a Mortal Kombat fight, and so I was doing like the voice like ready. Go! Raiden. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you brought this up uh, when we talked about Rampage. Yeah, yeah. Right? We talked about the, the few times we had been in a fight. I, I yeah. was just the referee. <laughs> I wasn't fi- actually fighting myself. I was going to be the judge. Was there, mo- was there money on these fights? Were you, were you making taking a cut or anything? <laughs> Only the souls of, of your friend. Oh. Was there a Mortal Kombat game that you preferred? Like 1, 2, 3? Three, or... uh, 3. 3. And was there a character? A character that you like to play as? I, I really like Scorpion as a kid. Okay. I was I was big with the, the few times. Well, not the few times. I, I would say I played Mortal Kombat quite a bit at friends' places. I never owned it, but I was always a Raiden guy. I wanted to zap around, you know, and do that mm. thing where he'd, like, kind of fly, like, with his body straight out into people and then bounce off. Yeah. But the Genesis version of Mortal Kombat actually sold five times more than the Nintendo version, which was just, like, a huge, you know, get for the Genesis. And Nintendo was like, darn it, they, they've done it again. Those punks at Sega. <laughs> the second game that was very controversial was Night Trap, which uh, some people might know because I feel like they just re-released it for the Switch and I think maybe the PS4. Yep, they did. And uh, this was one that uses that full motion uh, video to show you know scenes of some scantily clad girls like going around the house, and you had to stop the girls from being attacked by these. They were vampires, but they weren't vampires. Like, they never called them vampires, but... Yeah. That's essentially what they were. They, like, fed off of blood. girl blood or something. <laughs> yeah. When they got caught, they'd, like, put this weird thing around their neck and, like, it, it would extract their blood because, I guess, biting people isn't uh, sanitary or something. So that was a huge one. Like, people in the news were, like, freaking out. Like, oh, my gosh, it's a game where, like, you hunt these girls. But I guess a lot of people didn't actually play it. You know what I mean? Yeah. They had the wrong idea. It, you were trying to protect the girls. And even when you were doing that, you weren't killing the vampire people. You were, like, knocking them out or pushing them out windows, which I guess Mm -hmm. could kill them. It wasn't quite as violent. It's, like, kind of, like, cartoony. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the big thing that people seemed to take away was that when you lost, you would see the vampires come and get the girls and and kill them or steal their blood or something. And they were like, like, why would you put that in a video game? And people were like, well, that's because you lost. Like. Yeah. People die in video games. You know, Mario falls into a pit and he makes that noise. Yeah. But when you have girls in bikinis and like nightgowns and stuff, uh, you know, especially ones that look like they're in their uh, teenage years, I guess it, it sends up a lot of red flags for people. Mm-hmm. Hey, listeners, we're putting this episode on pause for a bit to talk about how you can support Memory Card. Don't you dare hit that skip ahead button. We promise this won't take too long. If you enjoy the show, the easiest way to support us is by simply spreading the word. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your followers. Tell that weird guy at 7-Eleven. Hey, listen! If you're less of a social butterfly, you can always leave a positive review. Or you can follow us on Twitter at MemCardShow. You can take your support to the next level by joining our community on Patreon. Memory Card patrons receive perks like early ad-free episodes, shoutouts, and early access to bonus content in our Save Files archive. Every little bit helps, so we hope you'll consider pledging a dollar or two. You can find out more on patreon.com slash memcard. That's patreon.com slash M-E-M-C-A-R-D. And now, back to the show. And then the last one, which I hadn't really 
I feel like maybe I had heard of it before, but maybe not. It's called Lethal Enforcers. Mm-hmm. So it's an arcade game released by Konami, um, which used light guns, you know, in the arcade. Mm-hmm. It was like photorealistic people that they had captured, you know, like moving and running, jumping up. And it was one of those games where you're looking at a counter of a bank and bad guys pop up and try and shoot you. But then also people who are good pop up and like, don't shoot. And they run away. Oh, yeah. So you could shoot bad guys. You, sh- you could shoot good guys. Shooting the good guys would obviously lower your score. But you're shooting realistic looking people yeah. with a, you know, somewhat realistic looking gun. I think they were like orange and blue. So maybe not that realistic. But they ported that to uh, Sega Systems in 1993, and they ported that to the Super Nintendo in 1994, mm-hmm. and both of those came with um, the guns you got you plug into your system, and they were called, and this is the best name, the Konami Justifier. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I can justify this violence. Yeah. Look at these guns. So, yeah, Lethal Enforcers, uh, I guess, was, was kind of just like another check on the list of like, oh, society, you know, going down the drain. And that kind of went along with, there was kind of a gun panic going on, like a whole like moral thing about should you own guns? I mean, I feel like it's a conversation that's still being held to this day. But yeah, at that moment, there was a big fear of uh, children getting a hold of guns. So like I said, basically what happened was that there's this part of the Better Business Bureau, it's like a tongue twister, that's called the Children's Advertising Revenue Unit. Mm-hmm. And they went to Sega and Nintendo um, in 1993 and said, hey, guys, like there's a lot of politicians who are looking at these violent games and they're like getting pretty mad. They're going to do something serious about it soon. So you should really try and fix it before it gets to that point. Do something yourself. Exactly. Sega came up with their own thing, which was called the Video Games Rating Council. Mm-hmm. They actually tried to use the Motion Picture Association of America's rating like the, you know, the GPG. Yeah. But the motion picture was like, no, like, we're not giving this to video games because, you know. Yeah. Back then, video games were just like a toy and and movies were like a big fancy deal. So Sega Mm -hmm. was like, forget you. We're bringing our own team. And they brought in like psychologists and child development experts and educators and stuff like that. They made their own uh, rating system that went for like general audience was the lowest one for like everybody. There was MA13 for, you know, 13 plus. And there was MA17, which was like, you know the the worst of the worst yeah the adults yeah and so like i said mortal kombat got the 13 plus and some people were like that's you know that's not good enough Mm. i guess a lot of people felt like sega kind of dropped the ball with their rating system just because even though it was like had to be on the box you didn't have to mention it in commercials or advertisements they never put any kind of like literature out for parents to learn about it and so parents didn't even know you know they just were like oh there's some new icon on the box i don't i don't know what it is i don't know what it means didn't stand out as much as i guess they would have hoped yeah nintendo basically just said well we're just gonna make sure that no bad stuff gets through if it's bad we're gonna cut it down like we do with mortal kombat and if it's really bad we're, we're just not gonna even bring it to the system whatsoever yeah the seal of quality right even with these efforts uh by nintendo and sega and I think uh, some other, you know, like I think 3DO made their own rating system or something. Wasn't good enough. And on December 7th, 1993, uh, members of the combined United States Senate Committee on Governmental Affairs and the Judiciary held a congressional hearing with several spokesperson for companies in the video game industry. Basically like, hey, Nintendo, Sega, you know, uh, EA, the big publishers, like you have to come in and, and tell us 
why have you not tried to fix this yeah as a group like why are you not working together to come up with some kind of system and basically everyone was just like well we did this on our own and we thought it was good enough and it apparently was not because they held a second hearing a couple months later on march 5th 1994 i don't really remember this as a kid but to be fair in 1994, 1993, I was like, you know, five years old. Yeah. The, the hearings were led by Senators Joe Lieberman and Herb Cole. And they basically like made people take the stand and say, mm-hmm. like, what are you going to do? And if you, you don't fix this, we're the government is going to regulate video games like from here on out. Like we're going to make, you know, whatever the Department of Video Game Ratings and we're going to yeah. put those stamps on the games or on the cases and you won't have any say in the matter. Yeah, kind of like cigarettes. Yeah. And, uh, and the, the companies, the video game companies were like, uh-oh, we don't want that. We, we want to have a little bit of control over this. Yeah. So basically the outcome of these hearings in 1994 was that there was a new company created called the Interactive Digital Software Association, which changed its name in 2003 to the Entertainment Software Association, the ESA, which a lot of people know, I think mainly because they're the ones that run E3 in the spring. Or the summer, I suppose. They used to. <laughs> yeah. So they made the, uh, this, this brand new company, and basically they did it so they could make the Entertainment Software Ratings Board, the ESRB, and provide these um, uh, structure for rating games. Sega, I guess, originally was just like, well, let's just use ours, guys. Like, <laughs> we made this cool system. You know, the VRC, working great for us. Yeah. And Nintendo was like, so, like, no. We're not, we're not doing anything that Sega wants to do. Yeah, <laughs> they were trying to sabotage each other. Yeah, pretty much. They're like, yeah, we we have no idea like if your thing works at all. So basically, it was just they were like, okay, we're gonna have to make something completely new, and that's how the ESRB was formed. And in- initially, um, these were the ratings: there was early childhood, just for little little babies. Mm. There was kids to adults, which got changed later in 1998 to just being E for everyone, which I feel like everyone knows now. And then there was teen mature and adults only and then in 2005 they added in the e10 plus which was kind of that middle ground between you know everyone and the teen reigning yeah that's uh, that's it the, the i guess the u.s arcade gaming industry did not adopt the esrb like when it came out because they felt like they were different and well, yeah they're outside of it not in the home so they just did their own thing. I think they eventually came up with their own rating system that was something like color-based that they would put on the arcades and you would have to look at it and be like, oh, blue, I can play this game. (laughs) But who knows how well that worked. But yeah, I thought I would uh, go into just a little bit about some other rating systems out there because uh, there's some stuff that I didn't know, especially because some of these were created quite a bit later than I thought. A lot of them were later than 1994. I figured if there was outrage in America, there would be outrage everywhere. But Turns out not the case. There is one for uh, Europe that's called Peggy, mm-hmm. which I've, I always see at the start of some uh, trailers like Peggy 7. It always sounds really cool. This is mostly in PAL regions. Although I was looking into PAL regions. Do you know what all the PAL regions are? Um, the PAL region, like uh, Europe? Well, see, that's the thing. It's not just Europe. I thought it was because I was always like, okay, the PAL region is Europe and it's Australia, but it's like, China is the PAL region. Brazil is considered the PAL region. It's it's nuts. Mm. And I, I guess it's because PAL, first of all, uh, do you know what PAL stands for? I used to. I don't. <laughs> I, I looked it up. But it, it, it refers to the, the TV signal. Right. It stands for yeah. phase alternating line, 
which is some kind of color encoding system that the TVs used. And yeah, okay, that's why European games like had to run at slower frame rates. Yeah, because mo- the other part of the world, at least most of it, uses the National Television System Committee system that goes a little faster at like you know 30 frames per second yeah i think pal was like 25 or 20 it was like an odd number yeah so so peggy is used in a lot of those pal regions but a lot of them have their own thing and peggy is the pan european game information which uh they break down kind of in the same way but that was only created in 2003 i'm really not sure what they used before that but we're talking like a 10-year gap there between the esrb and Peggy, and Peggy goes three years old, seven years old, 12, 16, 18 at the top. Mm. And then there is the mm. German one that did start in 1994. I guess they were ahead of the curve in Europe. And I cannot <laughs> pronounce this word, but it's, it's abbreviated as the USK. I'm telling you, this first word is like 15 letters long. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's the Unter. under... Under. <laughs> it's the Unterhangsen yeah. software Selbstestall. <laughs> so, the last part is control, I think. That came out, you know, way back when. And then the Australian classification yeah. board is the one they use in Australia, and that is basically the same as their movie ratings. It's it's literally the same. So they have kind of the GPG uh, ratings down there. Mm. And then in Japan, push. What is it? It's uh, it's zero, right? Is that is that how you pronounce it? I didn't know if it was pronounced something like zero or something cool. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just zero, uh, zero, because it stands for Computer Entertainment Rating Organization. I just didn't know if there was some cool Japanese spin on the the pronunciation. Yeah, and they were also um a little uh, late to the game, I would say. I guess they were a little less concerned, but they uh, they created zero in two thousand and two. And um, it officially became recognized as a nonprofit organization in 2003. And here's how that system breaks down. A for all, B is 12 plus, C is 15 plus, D is 17 plus, and Z is 18 plus. I guess they had to jump on. That's why Dragon Ball Z, all those games are really mature. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's it. So now you know why the games today have the ratings that they do, basically because uh, Mortal Kombat, Night Trap, and... Some other games back in the early 90s kind of pushed everybody over the edge and they started freaking out. And uh, I guess at this point, we just kind of never look back. Yeah. I can't imagine video games without ratings now. That'd be weird. Almost everything else has ratings like TV shows and, and movies and stuff like that. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised that books never got a rating. Oh, yeah. I never really thought of that before. Maybe just because it, it takes more effort to actually like <laughs> read them. I'm sure there's an age range somewhere, like on the back of a book or maybe yeah. in the information, like uh, on the website or something. But yeah, it's true. Yeah. You, ne- you never know how nasty a book's going to be until you dive in, kids. <laughs> the uh, music industry has a kind of like a rate, uh, age rating system. I remember yeah. as a kid, like, you know, Eminem used to have like the huge sticker on the front, like not, not suitable for kids. Yeah. Who knows what the future holds for video games and for other forms of media. Yeah, especially as we move closer and closer to VR and AR. Things are going to get a little too real. What do the numbers mean? It hits you in the <laughs> head with uh, the age, the rating.
That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Our intro and outro music was crafted by talented chiptune composer Jamatar. You can find more of his banging beats by searching Jamatar, that's J-A-M-A-T-A-R, on Spotify or visiting Jamatar.com. If you have any feedback on the podcast or would like to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out to us via Twitter at MemCardShow, or you can visit our website, MemoryCardShow.com. If you'd like to follow Ben and I, we can be found at SuperBenTendo and Push Dustin, respectively. Have you considered supporting Memory Card on Patreon? If not, we hope you will. Currently, we're supported by quite a few awesome people, including Jackson Bertoli, Taylor Bias, Cody Sam, Michael Strickland, Tyler Davis, Courtney Cotton, Harrison, Taylor, Robert Lawler, and Jose Acosta. All of our Patreon info can be found on the support section of our website or on patreon.com slash memcard. We'll be back real soon with some gaming history goodness, so be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you enjoy the show. We'll see you soon.